Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, and I'm joined today by co-host Ellie Moxley from State Impact Indiana, and we're going to be talking about early childhood education. The uh, Indiana General Assembly is looking at a bill that would create a state-funded voucher program for low-income pre-K students, and legislators on both sides of the aisle definitely agree that state-funded preschool is a good idea, but there's a lot of disagreement about exactly what form it should take and how it's going to be paid for. The House actually voted in favor of a bill yesterday by an 89 to 7 count, and uh, now it'll go over to the Senate. So we're, uh, we're going to talk with three guests today about the prospects going forward and uh, about that bill. Um, in the studio, we have Alice Cross, who is a researcher on quality pre-K education programs. Um, we also have Shannon Heider of Cummins. Uh, Cummins established the Busy Bee Pre-K program in Columbus, and Shannon is very well versed on this topic. And also joining us by phone is State Representative Shelley Vandenberg, a Democrat from Crown Point. She's a member of the House Education Committee. Uh, so if you want to uh, join us today, you can call us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. You can also join us for a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. So welcome, everybody. And, Allie, it's particularly nice to have you here because you're really an expert on this issue. Well, I don't know if I'm an expert the way our <laughs> guests are, but I have spent a lot of time covering pre-K for State Impact Indiana. Uh, I wanted to get started with Representative uh, Vandenberg. If you could just kind of walk us through about the current proposal that passed the House yesterday. Well, it would allow um, kids that are um, within the 185% of federal poverty, which is the same as our um, the level of poverty for free and reduced lunch, to receive um, a voucher or grant, if you will, um, to attend a level three or four Paths to Quality uh, preschool program in Indiana. And um, a Paths to Quality program level three um, the difference in um, a regular preschool and a pass to quality level three or four is that there is actually um, an organized curriculum. So um, it would allow um, five, for five counties to participate in a pilot. Um, I think right now it's a thousand students. Um, it's a, a great bill. It, it starts um, with the kids that are in need, um, who we really need to focus on, you know, to get our graduation rates up and get them off to a great start. Um, there is a section in the bill that also provides for those kids who participate to go on then to receive a school choice voucher without having to attend a public school or have a sibling um, who also attends a public school, which is the section of the bill that um, most of the members of my party, including myself, um, really oppose. But other than that, it's, it's a great bill. It's a great place to start, and everyone was on board. Um, with, the, with the exception of very few members in the House voting against it yesterday. Sure. Now, obviously, this is an issue that, that there is broad support for pre-K. There, there's been support for pre-K in the past. In fact, the House passed a very similar proposal last year before it got scaled back in the Senate. Um, I guess I'm kind of curious about, obviously, Shannon, you're joining us from Cummins today. You've been, you've been around kind of advocating this for a couple of sessions. What, what, what is Cummins? What does a company like Cummins have invested in an issue like preschool education? Well, just a little bit about Cummins um, to begin with. We... Um, in our corporate responsibility department, we have a huge focus on education, and um, we believe that uh, Cummins is only as strong as the communities in which we we locate. So we spend a time, not, a lot of time, not only on pre K, but on high school graduation rates and um, you know increasing awareness uh, for STEM education. Um, a few years ago, we lent our Six Sigma team out to the school district um, to do a deep dive with. Um, 
the school district and the Community Education Coalition. And what we found was that only 67% of the children in Bartholomew County um, showed up ready for kindergarten. Um, we also found that those same students uh, struggled to ever, ever catch up and, and to graduate. So that's a big issue for, for us when the graduation rate is impacted. So is our ability to recruit from local high schools and local higher education um, institutions. So um, we decided to start a pilot with the community um, called Busy Bees. Um, the, the goal of the pilot was to replicate an average classroom um, in Bartholomew County at the preschool level. Um, we're a lot like a, a lot of other counties, uh, 50 percent of our children are on free and reduced lunch. We have um, about 12 percent that have some kind of special learning need, and 8 percent are English language learners. Um, so we replicated that in a pre-K program. Um, over the first three years of pilot, we had almost all of our students pass the kindergarten readiness assessment exam, and we also um, averaged about 20 months, 21 months of uh, math progress in the nine-month program, as well as um, 21 months in um, English and language arts. So it's been a huge success for us. Um, unfortunately, when um, we enter into these agreements and, and get other community members um, to fund um, these types of, of, of projects, we always have a sustainability plan. And we um, took this to ballot um, during the 2012 elections, and unfortunately fa- we, it failed by 5% of the vote. Um, however, we believe it was um, a problem with how um, you're able to state ballot referendum, school operating ballot referendum issues um, in front of the voters. We were unable to say that um, the ballot referendum was for pre-K education for low-income students. So we actually have a bill going in the Senate now that would allow for um, school referendums to include a short title of the project they wish to f- fund. We think it's good for voter transparency, and hopefully if that bill gets passed, we'll, we'll take it to the voters again. Um, we've stepped up with a little bit more funding, as, as well as many of our community partners, like the Community Education Coalition. Um, the program had to be scaled back to four days, but um, it's, we're still having a lot of success with it. But hopefully we can um, get some funding either through 1004 or through a referendum to, to keep you know, programs like Busy Bees going. I was actually at Busy Bees yesterday, and one of the things I was talking about with the teachers there is, you know, how they um, observe students, how they kind of assess what progress they're making throughout the year. They do three different assessments starting, you know, in when they first get them, and then they have another one in, you know, this time of year in January and another end-of-the-year assessment. And, you know, one of the things that I always enjoy when I'm at pre-Ks is we walk through and the teachers point out to me, you know, they'll talk to me about kids' developmental progress, mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, this kid is holding a large paintbrush and then moving to an eyedropper to add color to his paint means, you know, that's that's coordination of fine motor skills. But, you know, that these are these are people who are well-versed in early learning and early childhood education. One of the reasons uh, I wanted Alice to get into the conversation and talk a little bit more about quality and how we measure quality in pre-K. How do we know what, you know, a good program looks like? Well, we know what a good program looks like in a variety of ways. And one of the ways that is currently out there is the paths to quality approach for levels three and four is what is included in this bill. But we are encouraging people to think about using a different way of assessing the quality of a program, and that is using a a tool that is called CLASS, which is Classroom Learning Assessment System. And in that assessment, there are key parts, which are the learning support parts, that really focus on how do we bring about the learning that children need to be able to move them forward. And so that includes concept development, language modeling, high-quality feedback that just pushes the kids to go to that next level in getting their skills all uh, beefed up so they're ready to go to kindergarten. Mm-hmm. We, I think last time we did this show, we had some uh, representatives of um, a couple of preschools that were sort of based on a play model. And could you sort of talk about what that is and why that's not as uh, maybe not as good as the quality model you're talking about? Or different from, let's Okay, put it that way. thank you. <laughs> um, a play model of uh, early education is this is one of those scenarios or situations where it's a matter of definitions. Who is defining what play is and how it is implemented and in what situation? But research has shown that it is really critical 
as it's been previously said today, that children have those skills in order to be able to enter kindergarten successfully. And uh, just because you're doing an academic focus or ensuring that kids are getting those skills does not mean that children are just sitting at a table doing rote work. Teachers have to be very sophisticated in how they look at the activities, reinforcing them, helping children move to that next level of understanding, and tying those concepts and and skills together so they can make use of them. Okay, you're listening to a noon edition on WFIU, and today we're talking about the proposed pre-K program uh, that the Indiana General Assembly is looking at this session. If you're a parent or uh, just an observer and you want to call us and share uh, any information you have or any opinions you have about preschool and your child's preschool experience, uh, please give us a call, 855-0811 or toll-free one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, the uh, Shelley, you talked about the uh, the fact that that the, this is a really good bill, but uh, you also sort of indicated maybe it's it's not perfect. And I, and I wondered if if uh, you know I, I look at it from the standpoint. Um, that everybody seems to agree that preschool is really necessary and really important. Uh, yet, you know, what this bill is is a pilot project that's going to basically fund five preschool programs. Is that enough? I mean, you have to start somewhere, I guess, but it sort of seems to me like maybe we're really still behind in this preschool uh, issue. We're definitely very behind. We're behind in a lot of areas. Um, you know, the fact that we have full-day kindergarten, we don't even mandate for kids to attend kindergarten. Um, the school start age now in Indiana is age 7, which is basically, you know, really behind a lot of other states. And we can do so much more. Um, we have to start somewhere. And last year's bill, it would have only cost around $7 million, which when, when you look at our state surplus, and how much money we have sitting of taxpayer dollars that could be put to work. And not only uh, because of the importance of preschool, but the fact that we're letting millions of dollars in federal um, early childhood um, race to the top funds go by the wayside because we have no state-funded preschool program or a plan that's even in writing. Um, This would help our state have access to a lot more dollars and, um, you know, put us in the running with other states who are actually receiving those millions of dollars. So it's very, very important that we start somewhere. And I think the five, um, five counties is a great place to start. There um, has been worded, some wording added um, this session that would make it a little bit more diverse, um, saying that those counties need to be in urban um, and uh, suburban areas, more rural areas that we'll get some good feedback as we follow these kids, um, you know, throughout their learning um, education. Alice? Well, one of the things that we think is important uh, for looking at how pre-kindergarten is done and how it will evolve in the future is to be able to know exactly what kind of an impact is occurring as a result of this. And there is a system in place in the state which is... uh, used to help teachers track the progress of children's development, and it's called the uh, I-STAR-KR. It's kindergarten readiness. It goes from birth through uh, age five, and with that kind of a a tool, we can have um, equity in how we're measuring the outcomes that are resulting from these five programs or counties that are being uh, engaged in a pilot project. Mm-hmm. And that is in the bill. Yeah. So that will give us a lot of information to move forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Representative Vandenberg, I know you mentioned Indiana's uh, early learning <clears throat> application with the federal government, something that I know we didn't get because one of the one of the problems we have here in Indiana is we don't have as much of a pre-kindergarten infrastructure as some of the surrounding states that that did succeed with their grants. What are some of the things we need to be doing to, you know, kind of Im- improve this 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 patchwork network of 
private providers, public providers, Head Start providers, which get federal money. What, what needs to happen to kind of make sure that everyone is on the same page for early learning in Indiana? Well, I think it's about getting all of the agencies working together. And I have to say, I'm very impressed with um, Melanie Brizzy with um, Family Social Services Administration and her efforts in, a, you know, moving the grant process forward, but also reaching out to um, the state superintendent staff um, to work, you know, collaboratively together uh, to put the best um, application forward, but definitely implementing some type of a preschool, state-funded preschool program will put us more in the running. Um, you know, we're amongst just 10 other states that don't have any type of state-funded preschool, and that's really sad when you think that there are so many other states that are so far ahead of us, and all of those kids in the nation have that much greater of a head start on our kids in Indiana. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's definitely something that will affect, you know, every child in our state's future. I mean, if we can say that we're going to have a state-funded pre-K program and then have something, you know, that works um, to transition that child, you know, from preschool to kindergarten, um, you'll have to have those agencies working together. Mm-hmm. Alice, go ahead, and then I have a question for Shannon. One of the things that um, we can do is, even though we didn't get the Race to the Top Challenge Grant, is that the feedback that we received from the people who read and reviewed those is really detailed. It gives us lots of opportunities to sit down and make a plan about what steps to take next to help improve our overall system of early education in the state. Actually, we just need to craft that system. And so it talked about what parts need to be bolstered, what parts are going on strong. And there's things that we do do well, but we still have ways to go in some other areas. Mm-hmm. Shannon, I wanted to ask you, uh, again, remind me when you started Busy Bees? 2010. 2010. Mm-hmm. So well, what was it at uh, that, that sort of determined for the leaders of Cummins? Was there sort of a... Um, an epic moment, I guess, when the, when the folks at Cummins said, you know what, if nobody else is going to do this, we've got to do this ourselves. Uh, was there something you were seeing with the, the workforce, with education that d- made Cummins say, we're, we're going to step forward and do this? Well, we're always conser- concerned about, you know, the high school graduation rate. You know, we take a lot of our employees directly from high school. And if they don't get a, you know, a you know high school degree or equivalent, then that, you know, we Nine times out of ten, we can't hire them, right? And and they're not going into you know Ivy Tech or any other Indiana State University. So, um, you know, we started to start small here in um, Indiana and start with our pilot because and um, having our Six Sigma folks, you know, be able to create that data for us kind of did um, the own uh, its own sales job within within our company to to get that funded. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It, it, again, it just seems like uh, you know that was 2010. So that was four, yeah. And so you've been yeah. Out we've for been four years. It, yeah. We've been out in front of this, and we've been talking about it for a long time. But um, it's nice that we have representatives like uh, Representative Vandenberg that are helping push this idea. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to have some problems in the Senate. So, mm-hmm. um, um, so we've got a lot of work to still do. So from a from a political standpoint, um, I know that there are some question about the you know the the voucher part of the of the uh, the legislation, but what what are the other problems you think you're going to face in the Senate? I mean, it's going to come down to a funding issue. Um, you know, S- Senator Kenley and um, Representative Vandenberg, feel free to hop in at any point, um, <laughs> has indicated, you know, if it's going to be good for a thousand students, it's probably good for all of uh, Indiana's students. So um, he is uh, really grappling with how to fund that um, that initiative. And, um, you know, I, I think there are probably some efficiencies we can find, um, but I will leave that up to our state leaders um, to decide a fun- funding me- me- mechanism for all mm-hmm. of this. Um, yeah. I yeah, don't want to dictate that strategy. <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, it is uh, scaled back from, from last year because last year it did include three-year-olds, too. And this year it is only four-year-olds, unfortunately. Um, so the author has taken in, you know, into account the fact that we did have some problems funding it. Although Section 10 um, of the bill that speaks to the school choice program and not having the caveat of having to attend a public school or have, um, you know, a sibling that is already in the program um, really opens up um, the school vouchers um, even more, even though the cap actually goes away this year after um, June 
30, 2014. There's no longer a cap on how many school vouchers are actually issued. Um, but I really hate to look at the preschool portion as a voucher. I really wish that folks would quit, you know, referring to that as a voucher. Um, it's really a grant, you know, for a child to be able to attend preschool um, and doesn't have anything to do with um, a private school or anything like that. It's, it's any, you know, public, private, and they even added um, a public school could even administer um, mm -hmm. the program. So, um, you know, we need to stop referring to the whole bill as a voucher. Mm -hmm. There's just a portion of the bill that refers to the school choice voucher program um, that our side really has a problem with. Right. You know, one of the one of the points that's been made to me by uh, early education advocates at, at the national level is that, you know, about 40 states now have some form of state-funded pre-K, and almost all those states have some kind of voucher-style component to their delivery because, you know, it, it's very difficult to build just a state-run preschool system. You, you kind of have to rely on the mix of existing providers, child care providers, preschools, head starts, all the all the different participants in, in early childhood education. One of, one of the things I'm interested in is what do you think we can do to be encouraging more providers in Indiana to, to move along on this path to quality so that they're at the level where they can be providing high-quality pre-K for students? <laughs> well, I actually had an idea last year, and I tried to um, prompt the author um, when we were actually uh, towards the end of the process, um, you know, to just say, you know, that, that all daycares need to be past the quality programs, uh, but that's easier said than done uh, <laughs> since we have many that are even unlicensed, um, you know, that are just registered child care ministries, and that's a whole other subject. Uh, um, but, you know, we have to set the bar. As legislators, it's our responsibility to set the bar for what we want for the people that live in our state, and I believe that that is absolutely the most important um, aspect of my job as a legislator. Um, I'm really not so worried about the providers out there. Um, I think that, you know, it's up to us to tell them, you know, what we need from them and expect from them for the people that live here. All right. You're listening to Noon Edition. We're going to have to take a short break now. If you want to uh, join the conversation about uh, preschool and and pre-early childhood education, please uh, give us a call after the break at 855-0811 or toll-free 1-877-285-9348. Or you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And while you're online, you can feel free to follow us on Twitter. We're at Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington. Online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiu.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIU.org news. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with co-host Ellie Moxley from State Impact Indiana. And today we're talking about early childhood education and its prospects in the uh, 2014 session of the Indiana General Assembly. We have three guests with us. Two are in the studio. Alice Cross is a researcher on what makes a quality pre-K program. And also Shannon Heider is with us. She's from Cummins. Cummins uh, has helped fund a pre-K program uh, that caters to low-income families, and it's very has been very involved in this whole pre-K initiative for uh, 
at least the last four to five years. And we also have us have joining us by phone State Representative Shelley Vandenberg, a Democrat from Crown Point. She's a member of the House Education Committee. If you want to join the program, and we hope you will in the second half, to tell us uh, about your experiences, uh, your kids' experiences with pre-K uh, education, please call us at 855-0811 or toll-free 1-877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Allie? Bob mentioned that, you know, this session, uh, we're, we're focusing on the 2014 session, and one of the, the, the reasons for that is because obviously this is a bill that is very similar to one that we looked at last year. Uh, it didn't come up earlier in the first half hour, but obviously this is a proposal that the governor supports. Mike Pence has said that, you know, he really thinks that it's time for Indiana to join the other states that are helping fund pre-K. What what does, you know, having the governor on board with this do for the chances, you know, in the Senate where it's it's going to be tougher to pass than the House? Uh, Shelley, you want to take that first? Sure. Um, <laughs> well, last year he was fairly silent on the issue. Um I think that he supported it, but he wasn't as openly supportive as he has been this year. And that always helps. And, of course, um, you know, when when you're the governor, Republican governor, um, over a Republican Senate or in-house, you can apply a little bit more pressure um, to members. You know, call them down to the principal's office, if you will. (laughs) Um, It happened on our side, too, when we had a Democratic governor. I hear stories all the time. Um, It definitely helps. Um, you know, usually you want to be very supportive of your governor. Um, you want to see his initiatives um, move through. And sometimes, even if it takes a little bit of pressure, um, you know, they're not going to hold back. The pressure will be on. One Alex of the said. other things, excuse me, one of the other things that um, is important when a governor is signing on is that um, it contributes to energy that can exist within the Department of Education. And it's really important to have the school system as an integral part of delivering early education for young children. They're not going to be the sole component, but they can help to provide a, a strong backbone along with all of the other programs that are, are available and are out there and are working to meet the quality levels. So uh, I think that what the governor can do is to um, keep that attention on moving an early education agenda forward. Alice makes a good point about the the school system role in all of this. One of the things I hear a lot is that, you know, we think of birth to age five when we really should be talking about birth to age eight or about third grade because those, those, those years all encompass early learning. Why, you know, I know there's a lot of people that, you know, and I've heard this come up among, you know, in the Senate during the Education Committee hearings last year on this issue. You know, why is pre-K so important? You know, I didn't go to pre-K. I turned out okay. How has it it changed? Why why is early education such a big issue now? And maybe it wasn't 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. You see, everybody thinks they turned out okay. And (laughs) we're all not so sure. (laughs) <laughs> but go ahead. We we say it comments, you know, first grade's the new is the new kindergarten, you know, it's just, you know, competition is getting um, you know, bigger and bigger globally and um we expect, you know, more of our students than we did, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Well, the other part of it too is that in the last 20 to 30 years, there's just been an increasing flow of research that has been done that shows how children learn and what their capabilities are and what the impact is if they're not ready, such as what you were saying earlier with children who aren't ready, who don't have those skills when they hit kindergarten, aren't going to catch up. And that is very alarming. Um, We need to give them as much support as we can to move it forward. So the research is right there. I think, and I, I think that a lot of communities. I mean, Cummins and and you know what Shannon has been talking about in Columbus is certainly very important in that community. In Bloomington, I know that the Monroe County Community Foundation has has sort of partnered with the school corporation here to fund early childhood education, some pilot programs. It's within the school corporation at some of the some of the schools. So, you know, it gets back to the issue of 
you know, the state seems to be, I mean, a lot of communities are doing this on their own and trying to, mm-hmm. to work on their own to do it. And it's good to have the state involved. Shelley, I'm sorry to cut, that I cut you off. Oh, yes, that's I'm okay. Um, I was just going to add um, to something that Alice said about the research that's been done. Um, a couple of the other things um, that have come out of that research are that getting um, parents involved earlier in education seems to keep them more engaged along the way. Um, also, it lowers um, our uh, crime rates in our communities. Also, um, it seems to keep kids in school longer. Uh, so we want to get them off to a great start. Um, but there's a host of other benefits to every community if we do this. And there's an argu- argument that there is a cost savings, too. There's a lot of studies mm-hmm. out there. I've seen anywhere from 7 to $14 um, per state dollar spent in pre-K education that benefits the state. So, you know, hopefully, you know, if we get s- kids started earlier, we spend less on um on remediation and, and other social pro- programs because hopefully they're all graduating. Thanks mm-hmm. for adding that, um, Shannon. Yeah, exactly. And they say even a cost sa- cost saving as far as jails. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, the studies are all there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We'd like to hear from some of uh, the people in our audience, and I, I'd particularly like to hear from people who uh, maybe are involved with the the Bloomington Monroe County uh, initiatives through the Community Foundation. If any of you are listening, you could give us a call. Uh, we're talking about uh, preschool education, pre- the pre-K program, particularly that it's going through the legislature right now. Uh, it's getting ready to go into the Senate. If you have questions or comments. Um, or uh, just any observations, give us a call at 855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free from anywhere uh, around our listening area, 1-877-285-9348. And from anywhere in the world, you could get on our website, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So let's uh, go back briefly, if we can, to sort of the the political battles that we were talking about the governor's involvement in this. And and sometimes, you know, I, I think about, you know, the governor has a supermajority in the Senate, so mm-hmm. basically he can get through, or the, the Republicans can get through anything that they feel is important. But we have a governor who's been in office for just a year, Governor Pence. We have a lot of strong senators, uh, Senator Kinley being one, mm-hmm. who've been around for quite a long time. So it might not be so easy for the governor to get through exactly what he wants, it seems to me. Shelly, do you want to respond to that? Well, Senator Kenley has definitely shown himself to be a huge obstacle, for sure. <laughs> um, not only just on maybe 3K, he'll call. but he maybe. is. Yeah, anytime you have a bill that um, requires funding, he is definitely your biggest obstacle in the state house. I would say, with you, Shannon? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's his um, job to be the is, gatekeeper. He's so well respected so. Um, and so knowledgeable, and and really, it his, is his um, fiscal um, conservancy that has really led to a portion of the $2 billion surplus that we have. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, um, I appreciate him very much for that and have a world of respect from him. I've learned a lot from him along the way. Um, it's just really going to come down to, I guess, the semantics of the, the, the bill and if he feels that this is worth it this time. What, what does, can somebody explain to me a little bit more about what he wants? I mean, I, I assume he wants some form of preschool education, but... I think he's a good... He thinks it's a good idea, and, you know, obviously I can't speak for Senator Kenley, but I think Mm -hmm. he thinks it's a good idea, but, I mean, he's concerned with the the funding, and, um, you know, obviously we had a a little bit of surprise uh, late last year with the revenues not being what we we thought they would be. Um, So, you know, I understand his concern. I think we just need to work that much harder to make the investment case for Mm pre-K. There are a lot of good initiatives out there, and I guess it's just weighing one against the other. Um, we can't fund everything. You know, unfortunately, um, there are many things that fall by the wayside, and, you know, many great programs have been cut. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just ends up to be who can make the best argument. Mm-hmm. Actually, how many constituents call um, <laughs> and, and pressure um, legislators, too, has actually sometimes um, a greater significance than uh, that of the governor's you know, when your own constituents um, are putting the pressure on you. So. Is, is that a call to action to our listeners? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't call me. I'm already supportive. <laughs> are there, are I'm there, getting calls on other issues. <laughs> are there changes that could be made in the bill that would make uh, the, the conservative, fiscal conservatives uh, in the Senate more likely to vote for it? I believe so. I believe um, doing away with the school so- uh, choice section, Section 10 of the bill, um, may help. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say for sure if it will. Um, I know it will help Democrats in the Senate 
get on board. Mm-hmm. But Democrats are not always necessarily the fiscal conservatives of the no, of the group. Exactly. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Is there any other component of opposition? Mm-hmm. I know that the Indiana Chamber of Commerce has <laughs> been behind this, and I was mm-hmm. I was speaking with one of their representatives the other day, and he mentioned obviously the the fiscal. Uh, battle ahead in the mm-hmm. Senate, but he also, you know, talked a lot about the state's role in early childhood education. And I think that, you know, it, it's probably safe to say there are some elected officials who who kind of are skeptical that Indiana needs to be in the business of, of worrying about, you know, the kids before their their school age. Do you think we're going to see any any debate on that front once once this bill uh, is taken up by the Senate Education Committee? Oh, my goodness, I hope not. I hope that every legislator in that building understands uh, that from the time a child is born in Indiana, um, you know, it's our responsibility to make sure there are programs available to make them absolutely the best people that they can be for our state. Um, And we want to keep them here. We don't want them to be moving out of state or families that are already here take their child somewhere else because they think that Mm -hmm. they have a better chance um, with their education um, of being a successful um, person in our nation. So I surely hope that that would never be an argument. Right. And, you know, with 85 percent of brain development happening before age five, I think, you know, it's almost the most critical time where you can be investing in the kids and just go to um, Shelley's point on, um, you know, you know, keeping people in the state. Obviously, we're recruiting with all those other states that, you know, offer pre-K education and trying to convince families to locate to Columbus, Indiana. And, you know, one of the number one things they care about is education for their children. I think we we did a show uh, three or four weeks ago on just on um, on child care and child care issues. And one of the things that came out of that show that surprised me because I, I just have been out of that area for so long is that it, now it costs as much for a, a couple to provide child care for their youngster as it does to send somebody to college. And, I mean, those statistics, uh, you know, so these, these kids that we're talking about who are three years old, four years old, I mean, they're, they're going to be going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they should be, it seems, seems as if, you know, when you make that investment, uh, the investment argument that, that right now parents are spending an awful lot of money to make sure that their kids are somewhere safe. So if they're somewhere safe, they ought to be somewhere where they're safe and challenged and learning. And, um, you know, the money's being spent. Already, and if the state can step in and help make sure that there are great places to provide the additional, you know, um, enhancements, I mm-hmm. guess, uh, that's a good thing. Alice, go, go ahead. One of the things that we're thinking about here, too, is how many kids in Indiana are in need of this kind of uh, early education support. And we're looking at the children who are eligible based on family income. We have... Uh, Forty percent of all children, this was from 2012, on free lunch program. So they're in the same eligible bracket. And there's an additional 8.2% of all the children in Indiana who are on the reduced payment plan. So these, we're almost at 45% of all these kids in the state who really um, need to have additional early programming available to them in ways that families can afford it, but also that is an investment for the state that will bring that return on the dollar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know one of the things we're talking about, we, we throw out the 185% of the poverty level a lot, which that's, oh, $42,000 for a family mm-hmm. of four, four. roughly. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we're, we're not talking about, you know, very high-income families here. One of, one of the One of the things... Governor Pence has said is, you know, he really wants to focus on, on low-income kids. What, is, what does the research say about, you know, the benefits of pre-K, especially for kids at, you know, at the, ver- at the very low end of uh, the, the poverty scale? Well, it really um, is clear in the research literature that the benefits are there, especially for children who are at risk of school failure. And... Uh, You know, the programs, if they are designed well, if they have a good, sound curriculum, if they are spending enough focus on instruction, if they have done a high-quality job of that teacher-child interaction, then those children will be able to move along and get there. 
get ready for school. And it also seems that, you know, one, one topic seems to lead into another because while you have um, low-income families who may have three- and four-year-olds at home that they can't afford to put in any type of a program, if they did, the mother would also be able to work, mm-hmm. which would also lower our um, pay equity rates in Indiana because women, you know, right now only earn 73 cents on every dollar that a man does. And a portion of that is attributed to because mothers usually have to stay home with the children because it costs so much for them to put their kids into quality child care. All right, you're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU, and we're talking about the proposed pre-K program the legislature is looking into uh, during this session. If you have any concerns about uh, the General Assembly adopting a new voucher system for state-funded pre-K, or if you have uh, any um, comments at all about uh, the need for pre-K education and for the state to fund it, uh, we'd like to hear from you. Please give us a call, 855-0811 or toll-free, 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Go ahead, Ellie. So I'm not at the point where I've had to look for any kind of a, a pre-K for children, but I, it's something I've watched, you know, friends, family, coworkers go through, and they talk about, you know, how overwhelming it is to, you know, sift through all the information that's out there to find a place that's a good place for their kid where they feel safe leaving them. What what advice do you guys have for parents who are starting to wade into this, whether whether they're going to have state funding or not? Where where can they go? What what resources are there to help them figure out where is the best place for their kid? Well, they can go to um, the Family Social Services mm-hmm. Administration website, and I highly recommend that they do and that they also look for a Path to Quality program. Uh, we have a caller on the line, Norma from Bloomington. Mm-hmm. Norma, go right ahead. Norma, are you there? Oh, we're technical difficulties, but we're. Oh, I think we just lost. Yes, we just lost her. All right. Well, maybe Norma will will call back. So we we can hope so. <laughs> now, you know, the one hundred eighty five percent of the poverty level. Can somebody give me that number? Do you know what's that? That was, oh, that was the 42000 about $42,000 yeah. yeah. a year for, for, family, for of family of four. Family of four. Okay. So. Good. All right. So the um, the issues that are that are going through, I mean, the, the it's going to be uh, heading to the Senate next. So is, does it go directly to the Senate floor or does it go to a, a committee in the Senate? Um, in Shelley. Shelley. It goes to the committee. That's yeah. what – yeah, that's what I thought. So um, – by the way, just yeah. a footnote, um, Senator Kenley serves on the Senate Education Committee. So we'll know as very, well as appropriations. We'll know very, <laughs> we'll know very quickly. Uh, yeah, the direction of the this. direction of yeah. this. Yeah. So hopefully, um, with the governor now weighing in, we'll have uh, you know a little bit better success than last year. Mm-hmm. And it, it's you know it's helpful also that you know the speaker signed on over in the House and um, Representative Baining, the Education Chairman. So it, it adds a little bit more weight to it, but. Okay. Um, you know, we we need to do a good job of making the case. All right. And well, do you know if Senator Long has signed on? I know Pete Miller is a sponsor. Um, um, you know, I I feel like he's had you know he's had comments in the past that you know has just said you know we're going to hear it. You know, okay. um, we haven't heard any you know feedback about you know him you know really you know charging the cause this issue. year. Yeah. So, um, but you know that just leaves us another opportunity. What help? Yeah. <laughs> All right. We we think we have Norma back now, so let's go to the phone and Norma from Bloomington. Norma? Yeah, I was on, but you guys weren't. Um, <laughs> my question is, I think you're referring to... Oh, you can turn now your... Now am can, I on? You are yeah, on, but, on. but could you turn your radio down, please? Oh, I can't reach it. Never mind. <laughs> um, I can manage. Okay. Uh, I think you're referring to having... All day pre only pre kindergarten. You're not in, not referring to all day kindergarten. Do we already have all day kindergarten in Indiana? 
Most school districts in Indiana at this point do have all-day kindergarten. There's still some questions about, uh, you know, the the funding on whether or not, you know, they're fun- they're not funded as a full student yet. But one of the things we talked about earlier was um, mandatory attendance age, which right now in Indiana does not include kindergarten. It, it's seven. And, and Representative Vandenberg, I know that there's been a bill filed uh, from the Democrats that would that would revisit that uh, mandatory attendance age. Do you think we will see any movement on that? I doubt it. Um, I would like to see something added in the Senate, perhaps, um, to 1004 um, that would require uh, statewide kindergarten for children to, to start school at age six rather than age seven. Um, also, um, you know, it, it will not be heard in the House, obviously. We only have one more committee meeting or two next week. So um, it's pretty much dead in the House. We can hope for changes in the Senate. I want to go back to something that Ellie said before. You know, I, I sort of made fun of it. You know, everybody thinks that they turned out all right. But um, <laughs> but, but it seems to me that, that we, we sort of are in a time of cultural shift because parents are, are both working. Um, the competition for jobs is so enormous. The, everybody's looking at education at all levels. And while – you know, as Norma said, you know, we've got, you know, all day kindergarten. Kindergarten was a, a big fight to get all kids going to kindergarten. And now we're dropping down and saying, well, all kids really need to go to high quality preschool. And yet, you know, you have a generation of people that are, that do say, well, you know, maybe I went to kindergarten and then I went to first grade and on. Why do kids really have to start that early? So it gets back again to the quality program and perhaps the, the competition Program. So that's sort of a long preamble to say, um, you know, when you look at Indiana being one of 10 states that doesn't have any kind of state funding for, for preschool, are there states, and Shanna, maybe you've done some studying on this, are there some states that you would think are models for what they've done in terms of how to put together a, a preschool program? And, and is there some data that people could point to? Um, that would say, you know, this state is doing really well, their educational levels are going up, and they have this kind of level of preschool. And, Alice, you look like you yeah. maybe have the be better to answer yeah. this. Well, uh, the National Institute of Early Education Research is a group that has done extensive um, tracking of how uh, state pre-kindergarten programs are being implemented across the nation. And they've been following this for quite some time. One of the strongest uh, states is Oklahoma uh, that has been funding uh, pre-K for four-year-olds for quite an extended period of time now. And it is through both the public schools and, I believe, Head Start. Um, The big thing about uh, pre-kindergarten is that uh, variation is the norm. There are many ways for it to be funded. There are many ways for it to be implemented. In some states, it is half day. Some states, it is full day. And um, so there are a lot of possibilities. But when we're looking at um, the state that has put the, the research and evaluation mechanisms into place to follow what they're doing, Oklahoma really stands out. Mm-hmm. And how how do they? I mean, how, what kind of data do they look at? Do they look at, at how ready the child is to start school, and then do they look at how they're doing over time, like what the graduation rates are, and those kinds of things? Well, there are studies that do do that, and uh, in that particular case, I know that they followed them into um, uh, first grade, but in there have been many studies that have tracked children all the way into adulthood. Uh, as we've moved into um, the current ways of doing research and looking at a more precise definition and application of the studies in community settings, in the real world rather than in a, a pilot projects run by universities, we really can narrow our um, or increase our understanding of what it is that is required. And so we're making uh, good gains along that way, and I think that we will be seeing more research coming out, um, especially as we're following the results that come out from the race to the top, because all of those uh, states are going to be reporting. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Ellie, do you have any uh, last questions? We have about three minutes to go. <laughs> I think one of one of just the things I, I'm I'm still curious about is obviously you know we we've talked about the challenges. I mean, this is a bill. Do you guys see this bill coming back if we don't get the job done this session? What what lessons are we learning as we kind of hash all this out? I think it's going to be a lot like the kindergarten discussion, which we had, you know, earlier. It's, you know, it took a long, long time for for that to be fully funded um, here in the state. And um, I think, you know, if it doesn't pass this year, I think there is still the energy to keep going. Yeah, I, I, the, the, we have a, a question on Twitter that I want. We've sort of addressed this earlier, but I want to give you a chance to address it again. Um, somebody asked, said that she has enrolled her child into a daycare or a pre-K program that's that is does claim to be um, play-based as opposed to academics-based, and she asked, "What's the difference between the two? And Alice, you sort of addressed this before, but. Well, if you're going to a program that is play-based. What you are hoping is that um, when the teachers are engaging in play with the children, that they are also keeping track of all of those individual skills. How are they doing with their number acquisition and their their letter sound acquisition and their ability to socialize? Are they keeping track of that and are they making sure that each child in that group is moving forward? Uh, sometimes people say that they're part of a play-based learning setting, and it also means hands-off. And that is not sufficient to help children um, learn what is needed before they go to school. Mm-hmm. With we have busy, less than a minute. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I was just saying, well, we use the Reggio Emilia philosophy at Busy Bees, and it's a very student-driven curriculum, but mm-hmm. we make sure to incorporate the stand, state standards into their student-driven mm-hmm. curriculum. So parents should definitely try to find out exactly how their daycare mm-hmm. or their child care centers are run or their pre-K programs. Okay, so we are out of time. I think this uh, pre, pre-K uh, early childhood sto- uh, issue is going to be with us for quite a while. We'll probably have you back next year. So I, <laughs> Don't I, say that. No, sorry. <laughs> We're going to have success. <laughs> There'll be an expansion on it. <laughs> All right. But anyway, I really want to thank our guests, uh, State Representative Shelley Vandenberg. Thank you for uh, joining us on the phone. And also Alice Cross and Shannon Heider. Thanks for being back, Shannon. Thank for, you. For Ellie Moxley, uh, engineer Mike Pashkash, producer Claire McInerney. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, Addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu.